You may have heard about this. It was just a brief story in early December that was really hardly covered. But when it was, the storyline stated that a young member of Kelly Leffler's staff. Now, at the time of this recording, Leffler is the Republican senator in the heated runoff election for a U.S. Senate seat in Georgia. Again, the story is a young member of Leffler's staff was involved in a fatal car accident. That was pretty much the story that was told nationally. However, always trained to be suspicious and look for the hidden headline. Upon hearing the news, my immediate gut reaction, verbalized to my wife, by the way, was, this was murder. That's what I told her. Politics in Georgia historically have seen a lot of dirty business over the years, and these runoff elections for both of Georgia's U.S. Senate seats are turning out to be Well, some of the priciest by way of money in U.S. history, and and the stakes are huge. If the Democrats win, they have a 50-50 split in the Senate with Republicans. If Biden and Harris do become president and vice president, then the Democrats will have the power of government lock, stock, and barrel, and their deeds will include raising taxes, pleasing enemies like China, Russia, and Iran, and of course, there will be much more. During the campaign for these seats, the Democrats' head senator, Chuck Schumer, you may have heard this, proudly proclaimed, first we take Georgia and then we change America. I believe that the change they're looking forward to is all a part of the left's great global reset, which I discussed in my last podcast, Hidden Headlines number 76. The fatal car wreck, however, involving 20-year-old Harrison Deal caused my curiosity to rise because of what was happening at the time of his terrible death. Again, both Senate seats up for grabs. The Democrats were convinced they won the White House. If they can get the Senate, they can go pedal to the metal to change America. Also, the Trump administration and tens of millions of people who voted for Donald J. Trump for president believe he re-won in a landslide. And his second term was stolen due to meticulous, widespread voter fraud. Look, Georgia is a red state. Its governor, lieutenant governor, and secretary of state are all Republicans. But at the time of the accident, they had all seemed to be obstructing efforts to expose voter fraud in their state. Why? Well, some suppose that behind the scenes there had been threats made. Why would this surprise anyone? Did you see social media video? That one video put out by that Michigan state representative, I believe her name was Cynthia Johnson, who declared open season on Trump supporters during a a threatening ramp. She said, this is just a warning to you, Trumpers. Be careful. Walk lightly. We ain't playing with you. Enough of the shenanigans. Enough is enough. And for those of you who are soldiers, you know how to do it. Do it right. Be in order, make them pay. And then she continued, soldiers, rise! Really creepy. And that's why I responded with, this was a murder. So I dug into what details were available regarding this young staffer's tragic death. And and I certainly wasn't the only one. Others were doing the same thing. And guess what all we curious people were met with? Insults and assertions of being kooky conspiracy theorists. 
Now, in this episode of Hidden Headlines, you're going to learn more about Harrison Deal. And we'll also separate truth from fiction in many other American political conspiracies. This is Hidden Headlines, Faith, Family, Freedom, Episode 77. I'm Brian Sussman. Thanks for joining me, everyone. Again, more on me at briansussman.com. The elite media defines conspiracy as something conceived in the mind of a crackpot and therefore automatically fake news, period, end of story, that's it, move along, nothing to see here. But here's how the dictionary defines conspiracy. The act of conspiring, an evil, unlawful, treacherous, or surreptitious plan formulated in secret by two or more persons, a plot. You see, the fact is, conspiracy theories many times turn out to be absolutely true. Just ask law enforcement investigators. That's their job, to separate the truth from fiction. Now, trust me, I've been con- called a conspiracy theorist for years now, especially after my books, Climate Gate, a veteran meteorologist exposes the global warming scam, and Eco-Tyranny, how the left's green agenda will dismantle America. After both those books were published... I heard it all. Kooky conspiracy theorists, whack job, you name it, I heard it. Even though every statistic I brought to bear in both of those comprehensive books, every statistic, every statistic was garnered from the government, government based research, footnoted accordingly. I wasn't coming up with this stuff myself. But instead, I was treated by many as a member of the Flat Earth Society. But you know, conspiracy really is as old as, mm, well, how about Adam and Eve? You see, in the beautiful Garden of Eden, Satan conspired to bring harm to the first couple, knowing that in doing so, he could introduce sin into the world. He appears as a talking serpent to Eve, clearly and cleverly twist God's commands around regarding the tree of knowledge and then tricks Eve, and in doing so tricks Adam too, into partaking of the forbidden fruit. The result was just as Satan conspired. Sin entered the world and Adam and Eve were banished from the garden into a life of labor, pain, and a life that would eventually end in death. And oh, if there was a media back in the day, I could hear them now regarding any allegation that Eve was tricked by the devil appearing in the form of a talking snake. This claim has been disputed by the Associated Press. End of story. Nothing to see here. Conspiracies have shown themselves throughout human history, some false for sure, and many of them 100% true and and made for the big screen. We just look no farther than here in the United States of America. Let's go back to the War of 1812. The Federalist Party had faded from the political landscape, and the Republicans were the predominant national party. And their hold was so great that in 1816 and 1820, James Monroe, the Republican presidential candidate, virtually ran unopposed. 
But then in 1824, something happened. Republicans splintered into factions, and five viable candidates ran in that election cycle. And John Quincy Adams won the presidency. But there was controversy, and it fueled suspicion. Andrew Jackson had won most of the electoral and popular votes, and he had most of the regions and the states. But because there were so many candidates, he did not win the majority of the combined electoral votes. So the United States House of Representatives was constitutionally required to choose the president in a runoff of the top three vote getters. Now, here's the conspiracy. Jackson's supporters believed that House of Representatives Speaker Henry Clay, who, by the way, had finished fourth in that election, helped Adams win the election in the House. Again, he was the speaker. He would be the guy counting the votes. He helped Adams win the election in the House and become president in return for being appointed Secretary of State. At the time, they called it the corrupt bargain forged between John Adams and Henry Clay. Well, it turns out the conspiracy theorists were correct. John Quincy Adams became president and Henry Clay became his secretary of state. Then there's the assassination of President Lincoln. Everyone knows a little something about the man who fatally shot Lincoln in 1865, John Wilkes Booth. But that gunshot was just one portion of a much larger conspiracy to strike a decisive blow against the Union's high command. Now, this conspiracy had originated months earlier when Booth and several others who were Confederate sympathizers, Southern Confederate sympathizers, schemed to kidnap Lincoln and hold him ransom in exchange for Confederate prisoners. Well, the plan encountered repeated setbacks, and as the Confederate rebellion disintegrated, uh, the whole thing just went by the wayside. So the conspirators concocted a final plan. And listen to this. They wanted to destroy the entire U.S. government from the top and retake the nation for the Confederacy. Booth had learned that Lincoln and Union General Ulysses S. Grant were to attend a play at Ford's Theater in Washington, D.C. There would be a simultaneous series of coordinated assassinations. That's what they had conceived. Booth would personally murder Lincoln and Grant at the theater, and his co-conspirators, George Atzerzod and Lewis Powell, would kill Vice President Andrew Johnson and Secretary of State William Seward in their homes. That was the plan. But it quickly fell apart. Now, Booth, of course, succeeded in mortally wounding Lincoln at Ford's Theater, but he missed out on Grant because Grant decided at the last minute not to attend the play. At the same time, Powell snuck into the home of the Secretary of State Seward as he lay in bed, but only succeeded in leaving him with severe knife wounds. Atzerodt, meantime, chickened out and made no attempt to assassinate Vice President Johnson. Lincoln died the following morning, but his administration remained intact. William Booth was eventually killed, and all the conspirators were brought to justice and either executed or imprisoned for life. 
And then there's Bill Clinton. Occasionally, we had an evening radio show in San Francisco. I would talk about all the strange deaths regarding various people associated with the Clintons. I mean, the list is long, and to me, anyone with a curious brain would have to think, at least for a moment, that it was peculiar that so many people associated with one couple had died in such mysterious ways. In the case of the Clintons, we have 47 friends, 47, that's my last count, and or associates who died in controversial ways, including, including 12 bodyguards or members of the Clinton's security team. We're talking one car accidents, plane crashes, unexplained heart attacks, suicides. With so many people six feet under, one would think it's worth a real investigation. But the problem is, a journalist who decides to go there might fear for their own safety. The other problem is, and this is the case with so many official government investigations, it's easy to cover up the truth with fanciful language and a rigged probe. The highest profile person in the Clinton files is Vince Foster. He died in 1993. Foster was the deputy White House counsel, as well as Hillary's close friend and former law partner. And he had connections to Clinton's travel gate and whitewater scandals. But in 1993, he was found dead. It was a gunshot wound, wound through his mouth in a Washington, D.C. park where he was parked in his car. The FBI called it a suicide, even though a Ken Starr investigation said the crime scene had been altered. The Washington Post reported federal investigators were not allowed, by the way, into Foster's office right after his death. But for some reason, White House aides were. Linda Tripp also testified to the grand jury on Foster's death, saying, quote, none of the behavior following Vince Foster's suicide computed to people mourning Mr. Foster. It was far, or, far more ominous than that, and it was extremely questionable behavior. I felt endangered. Well, Tripp worked in the first Bush White House and then transitioned into the Clinton White House. She didn't really like working for the Clintons, and she was transferred to the Pentagon. So that's 1993, 1994, 1995. Then in 1996, Monica Lewinsky, the former White House intern, still in the midst of her two-year affair with the president, was transferred to the Pentagon in an effort to limit their contact. It was probably Hillary who said, get this little beep out of here. Well, at any rate... Linda Tripp was 46. She was 24 years older than Lewinsky, but nonetheless, but despite the age gap, the two became very close. And Lewinsky began to share details of her affair with the president. After a year of listening to Lewinsky, they talked up to a dozen times a day. Tripp was contacted by a Newsweek reporter who was digging into allegations about Clinton's womanizing. Tripp then shared what she knew about Lewinsky with a literary agent, Lucianne Goldberg, and pitched a book idea. Since everyone was starting to investigate this, Tripp thought, man, I've got all the goods. Why don't I just write a book? Here's what Goldberg did. Goldberg's smart, smart woman. She used to be on my radio show in San Francisco way back when. She encouraged Tripp to secretly tape her conversations with Lewinsky. And then the trap was set. 
Tripp recorded 22 hours of Lewinsky confessions and then encouraged the young woman to save a blue dress bought from the Gap with a stain of presidential semen instead of having it cleaned just in case she needed evidence of the affair. In January 1998, Tripp called independent counsel Ken Starr and soon after agreed to wear a wire to meet Lewinsky at a local hotel where FBI agents confronted the unsuspected, unsuspecting former intern. The rest, of course, is history, including that famous line by President Clinton, I did not have sex with that woman. It was on national TV. So that's one particular affair. And then there's the Paula Jones lawsuit. Jones sued Clinton for allegedly exposing himself to her in a hotel room in 1991. The Jones suit, which went all the way to the Supreme Court, was ultimately dismissed by a judge on the grounds that Jones could not show damages. Meanwhile, while it was on appeal, Bill Clinton paid $850,000 to settle the suit without admitting liability. Where he got the money, I have no idea, but that was the deal. So let me continue here. Bill Shelton was the fiancé of Kathy Ferguson. This is all going to tie together in just a moment. Bill Shelton was the fiancé of Kathy Ferguson. Kathy Ferguson was the ex-wife of the Arkansas State Trooper who had been a co-defendant in the Paula Jones sexual lawsuit. Kathy Ferguson was the ex-wife of Arkansas Trooper Danny Ferguson. Because she had escorted Paula Jones to Bill Clinton's hotel room many times, she was a corroborating witness for Paula Jones during the sexual harassment trial. You still with me? Well, interestingly, she, Kathy Ferguson, died in 1994 from a reported suicide in which she shot herself in the head. Bill Shelton had openly questioned whether Kathy Ferguson actually committed suicide. He was found dead at her gravesite with a gun next to him. It, too, was ruled a suicide. I could go on and on here, but the point is there are a lot of dead people in the Clintons' paths. Now, I could go on, but I I think it's especially mysterious. This is another conspiracy theory. May be true, may not be true, but with all of these, one would just have to question, how could this have happened? There was the deadly paramilitary clash, well, paramilitary, it was a military clash, with the Christian group in Waco, Texas, known as the Branch Davidians. The Branch Davidians were described as a cult by the media. Quite frankly, I've never been sure what to call them, but nonetheless, they were folks in good standing with the residents in Waco. And in fact, their leader, David Koresh, every day would jog from their compound into Waco to have coffee at a coffee shop. He was there all the time. Well, the feds claimed that the Branch Davidians had illegal firearms. And to make a long story short, a standoff ensued. It's all carried out live on TV. There were four ATF agents killed in Waco. All had previously worked as Clinton bodyguards when he was governor of Arkansas and first running for president. In other words, these guys were likely privy to things that no one else heard or saw or knew. And they were all shot in Waco. 
In fact, they were the only federal agents killed in Waco. Now, there were 76 Branch Davidians, including 20 children and two miscarried babies, killed in Waco, but only four agents, and all of them were shot in the temple, and all of them had worked for Bill Clinton. All four, by the way, were examined by a private doctor. <laughs> That's how I know they were. They died from nearly identical wounds to the left temple. Uh, that would be so-called execution style. By the way, I've seen the video of this assault. If the Branch Davidians got off a single shot, I'd be surprised. Their compound was outgunned and overpowered with flamethrowers, completely torched. When it comes to certain people, if you know too much, see too much, or hear too much, your life could be a risk. In my last podcast, I presented details of the Great Reset, the details of what the transnational elites like George Soros and Bill Gates and Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton want to accomplish are well known. Eliminate national boundaries, reinvent capitalism, create a new global economy complete with universal basic income and the forgiveness of debt in exchange for allegiance, servitude and playing within a new set of rules. Think about all the young people today that are loaded up with all of this college debt because they, they got college degrees that are absolutely worthless. First, they could have saved money by going to a community college, but no, they went to the four-year school and majored in who knows what. That will never translate to a job. And they're loaded up with all sorts of debt along with the college debt. Oh, they would love to be forgiven. So now, universal basic income, the Great Reset, forgiveness of debt in exchange for your allegiance, your servitude, and playing within a new set of rules. Hey, you want a place to live? Here you go. You want transportation? Sure. Here's a lifetime worth of supplies to Uber or however it will play out. COVID has been the first big test for these elites. Yes, I personally believe the virus was human-made in a lab in China. I also personally believe there will be multiple waves of this virus. And in fact, there is a new wave of the virus coming through as I speak. And what do we have? We have the masks and we have the social distancing and we have the lockdowns. And the masses unbelievably have been compliant. Case in point, I was at the gym today. I have to work out outdoors because our gym has been closed for some time. However, they do have a covered parking lot. We can work out in the covered parking lot with our masks on. And I'm, a, I'm telling you right now, if you work out vigorously, that mask, your oxygen uptake is greatly altered. You're breathing your own carbon dioxide. It's not safe, but that's what they demand. So we have the masks, the social distancing, the lockdowns, and, and the masses have been compliant. Meantime, small businesses have gone under. In San Francisco, where I'm broadcasting from, at last check, 54% of businesses have been shuttered. You go to Union Square, 
a, an international destination in San Francisco, businesses are still boarded up. It's as if they're anticipating something might happen. It's frightening. Life savings have been erased. What really, really bothers me, especially as a guy who raised four kids and I have grandkids now, I, I love children. My wife and I have been pro-life for decades. Babies are growing up not knowing what family members look like. The elderly are dying in hospitals alone. That is cruel and unusual punishment. And then prisoners here in California are escaping the justice system as jails and prisons are undergoing forced population reductions. The goal in California, I'm told by those on the inside, is to see 50% of the prisoners released. What's going to happen? There are no jobs. They'll go back to knowing what they know how to do very well, crime. It's all in the name of the coronavirus. And everybody's just going along with it. However, there was one man who was willing to call this out as nonsense. And he's the man standing in the way of the Great Reset, Donald J. Trump. The conspiracy with Trump is that the Democrats concocted an elaborate scheme to steal the vote. And that's why Biden and Harris never really campaigned. They didn't have to. That's why here in San Francisco, truly one of the most liberal, if not the most liberal city, county in the United States, you were hard-pressed to find a Biden bumper sticker. Back in the day, the Hillary bumper stickers, the, the Obama bumper stickers, they were everywhere. There was no enthusiasm for this crew, even though Kamala Harris used to be the district attorney in this town. The conspiracy against Trump would be complete by, one, making sure that voter fraud in Georgia would not be investigated, and Georgia's 16 electoral votes would go to Biden, and two, make sure the same faulty voting system would assure that Leffler and Purdue lost their Senate seats in the runoff election. Now, this is the conspiracy against Trump in one state, Georgia. Now, to make all this happen, the conspirators would need to keep Georgia's governor, lieutenant governor, and social uh, uh, secretary of state in their back pocket. Now, how have they done that? Certainly via intimidation. Maybe there have been payoffs, I don't know, but certainly via intimidation. And now we circle back to the tragic death of Harrison Deal. You know, maybe it's all just an automobile tragedy. And again, I don't wish to see anyone die in that particular manner, but given the situation, I hope that's the case, rather than a conspiracy. But if there were a political organization void of morals and seeking to change America so bad that we, the people, could not participate in the vote, which would lead to a great global reset, it would be the Democrat Party. You see, winning Georgia means everything to them because they assume that with the White House in their hands and those two Senate seats, they'll be able to put the global reboot, the reset, on warp speed. So if what I just said is true, we're theorizing now, 
that Harrison Deal was the perfect target. Yes, Harrison Deal did work as a staffer for Kelly Loeffler. Prior to that, he also interned for the other Georgia senator in the race, David Perdue. In addition to that, the young man was dating the daughter of the Republican governor of Georgia. The perfect trifecta. Oh, his death could certainly send a message. Back down. Stand down. Back off. Now, it's interesting because accounts vary regarding this accident. One says Deal's car went head-on into a truck on Georgia's I-16. I'm not sure exactly how that occurred. The weather was fine on that particular day. It was a widely divided interstate highway, again, in fair weather. But initial reports said that's what happened. However, later reports said there were three vehicles. Drivers of the other two cars were injured, but not seriously. I've looked at video from the accident. I've seen still photographs from the accident. It appears to me that there were indeed three vehicles. The vehicle that Harrison Deal was in melted. Video from the accident seen on social media media, and picked up by a few local TV networks makes it look as if a car bomb was detonated in Deal's vehicle. Witnesses say there was a massive explosion on I-16 that was heard many blocks away and a plume of black smoke rose into the sky. It's not something you would see from a car accident. And that blaze was so intense, it was battled by a bevy of firemen. And folks responding on social media said this, I saw it from my neighborhood, still exploding. It was the scariest thing I've ever seen. Another, we live in the area, heard a loud explosion, prayers for everyone. Another, drove by it, I can't believe what I saw. I can't get the images out of my head. And then, adding to the suspicion, less than two weeks after this awful accident, Special Agent James O'Sullivan, 51, died at his home. He was a special agent in Georgia, Georgia law enforcement. Some claim he was investigating Deal's death at the time he died. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation denies those theories, saying there's absolutely no truth to them. And it pushed back on the notion that O'Sullivan's and Deal's deaths were connected to the election. However, the cause of Agent O'Sullivan's death has not been disclosed, said to be under investigation. 51 years old, dead at home. If you wanted to place fear into the hearts of ambitious politicians, targeting this poor soul, Harrison Deal, was devilish. And I conclude this Hidden Headlines with a prayer. God, please, may this young man's family and friends be comforted during this awful time. And if there is a conspiracy, may it be brought to light and all those involved pay a price. God, I'm praying for this nation. I am praying earnestly that all of this evil will be exposed and uprooted. You, Lord, are the God of justice and righteousness. We trust in you. And Father, as of this particular recording, 
we're about a week out from whatever's going to happen on January 6th. And I pray that your will be done for the sake of the tens of millions of people who voted to make America great again and keep this great global reset from occurring. In your son's name, amen. Hidden Headlines, Faith, Family, Freedom. Thank you for joining me, my friends. More on me at briansussman.com. God bless you. God bless the United States of America.